Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. John Eads, Brad Klein with you this week to catch you up on all the latest buzz surrounding Syracuse football and basketball. Reminder, you can check out all of our stuff at orangefizz.net and toss us a follow on the Bluebird at Orange Fizz. A lot of interesting topics this week. We know Bayheim's Army won the championship last week, but a lot of interesting things going on surrounding Syracuse sports. Uh, you know, football is nearing the start of the season. They started fall camp this week, so a lot of things going on there. The Orange added a big recruit the other day on the trail, and we're going to cover those two things. Why is Syracuse recruiting so attractive all of a sudden? Why is Coach Bayheim on such a hot trail on the basketball recruiting trail? And, of course, we'll do five-star review, go deeper in on the Orange's latest commitment, maybe some other guys on the recruiting trail still to go after. And, of course, we'll finish it up with Fizz Feedback and Fictional Fizz. But, Brad, I want to start focusing on football because, as I said, the season is creeping closer and closer. The Orange began strapping up with the shoulder pads and the helmets the other day. And I want to pick your brain about the strongest position groups on this team in 2021 and the weakest ones as well. Yeah, so if you're going strongest, I think you really have to start with the line linebackers and the running backs those two groups to me really stick out and the linebackers especially probably my number one group because you have Jeff Cantonarku and Michael Jones and the way Jones played last year as a sophomore and now still classified as a sophomore with the extra year I, to me he really sticks out as the best and most valuable player on the team to anchor the 3-3-5 and to say that he's not one of the top linebackers in the ACC I think is crazy based on the preseason awards given out so I think Michael Jones is going to anchor that unit really well and I think the linebackers really stick out the running backs of course just because of their depth I'm with you there and regarding Michael Jones I've seen some of those preseason rankings where some people are putting him as a top five safety in the ACC but no this guy's a linebacker Right, I mean, he led the nation, led the ACC, was near the top of pretty much every board when it comes to forcing turnovers. The guy's just all over the field, and he's coming back in year two. He's just going to get even better in defensive coordinator Tony White's 3-3-5 system. You mentioned Jeff Canton, our coup, had a great year as well. Tyrell Richards transferred out, as did Lee Koba, so that opens up more room for him to get some playing time. You toss in Marlo Wax, a youngin who had some time last year, came on strong towards the end of the season. I think the linebackers are definitely the top position group on this team. And as far as running backs goes, it's difficult because you have Sean Tucker, you get Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams back from opt-outs. Those are guys that have played a ton of snaps. They've ran for a lot of yards. But here's the thing with the running backs. It's kind of contingent on how well the offensive line plays. I know Sean Tucker had a great year last year, but the O-line has to play good for them to play good. You're right. Absolutely. And that's the one of the things I said. Yeah, the running backs with their depth, but, and, and you're right, it's the offensive line. I love Sean Tucker. I love Abdul Adams. I love Jarvion Howard. None of those guys matter if they don't have any blockers in front of them. And you look at who's guarding them. I actually really like Matthew Bergeron. Maybe it's an unpopular opinion. I think he has the potential to be really good, but he's still pretty young and he didn't show enough to really, really be confident in him going into this season. You have Aaron Service in his sixth year, so you'd hope that he's going to be able to protect at a high level, but he hasn't shown that either. So really, there's no one that you can look at and say, yes, 
those guys are really going to get a thousand yards based on the guys protecting them. The only person I can actually say that for is Chris Elmore. Elmore is the most reliable blocker coming as a fullback. And he had a great season last year, you would argue, when he was filling in beginning of the season at left guard. I mean, Coach Babers a couple of times said he was graded out as the best offensive lineman. So he's coming back this season. He kind of is an in-betweener because you'll see him in the wing blocking in the backfield. you see him maybe line up a tight end. Heck, he could even get the ball on a handoff you know, near the goal line and punch it in for a touchdown in there. You mentioned the offensive line, and I think we're going to get to them in a second. I think we can both agree it's one of the weaker position groups on this team, unfortunately. It's just kind of how it is. But I want to pick your brain about the defensive backs. I think there's certainly an argument to be had to put that uh, to put that position group in the top two on this Syracuse team when it comes to the experience, production, and depth at corner and safety. Yeah, I know you're very high on the defensive backs, and you should be because the DBs are what carried the defense and what gave Syracuse fans a little bit of hope from last year in a one-win season saying, okay, well, only won one game, but hey, Rob Hanna, Jahad Carter, Garrett Williams, those guys are looking really good for the future, and they are. The only thing I will say is be careful, right? Because I think you and maybe all of Orange Nation might be getting a little bit of, well, they were good for freshmen, so they'll be good, period. That's not necessarily true. And, of course, Cisco, Melifamwu, and Williams are gone, and they didn't play much last year. But them being out of the locker room, them being off campus completely, now we're going to really see what that does for the younger defensive backs. And if they can continue this DB success in the secondary without those pros next to them in the locker room, I don't know. The only guy I'm very confident in is Garrett Williams. Other than that, Jihad Carter, Rob Hanna, Neil Nunn, those guys, the verdict is still out. The verdict is still out. There's plenty of question marks. You mentioned Neil Nunn. He's one of the competitors for that second cornerback job. And, I mean, heck, he may uh, not even have been on the roster a couple months ago. He had some off-the-field problems. But, luckily, he was able to kind of skate by those, and he's back on the team competing for that spot. You mentioned – oh, you don't mention, but, you know, you throw in Deuce Chestnut, the true freshman named one of the top 100 instant impact freshmen in the nation by 247 Sports. He could have a role as potentially a nickel back. But you mentioned the experience that left to, for the NFL, True Williams, Ify Melifamu, and Andre Sisco. You know, that sucks. You like to have the veteran presence there, if not playing, at least on the sideline and in practice, telling these guys what to do. But on the other hand, all of these young DBs, Jahad Carter, Rob Hanna, they, they all got, even Amon Greenwood, they all got baptized by fire last year, right? They made a lot of mistakes. They got a lot of playing time. Some of them got banged up, but I think they produced really well, and they got very valuable game experience in Tony White's system, and that's just going to pay dividends this year. So I think that's kind of why everyone's so high on them as a position group. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Dino Babers mentioned this in the ACC kickoff and in his pre-training camp press conferences that he's excited for those guys because not only did they get trial by fire, baptized by, by trial, whatever it is, based on the experience they got from last year, and they're going to know the system a little bit, but he said they all had really good springs, and the good springs helped them really figure out the 3-3-5. So now they're going to let their bodies catch up a little bit. Physically, they'll be better. They'll be more ready. They'll be more mature. And mentally, they'll be the same. So that's the hope. There's really no reason that this group shouldn't take a step up, except for the fact that I don't think they have all the resources that they had last year in the pros next to them. And I think there's still a lot to prove there. 
So defensive back, linebacker, and running back. Brad, are there any other position groups that perhaps we're sleeping on? Maybe the wide receivers, maybe the defensive line is some of the strongest position groups on the Syracuse team? The defensive line is, is interesting because you really want to be able to say, well, you're sleeping on the defensive line. You have Josh Black as a sixth year. Kingsley Jonathan is a fifth year. There's a lot to like there. But to be honest with you, no, you're not sleeping on the defensive line by not mentioning them here. They haven't proven enough enough either. either. And I think a, a group like that who really should be strong, and look, 3-3-5, McKinley-Williams, too, is a sixth year. They haven't gotten to the quarterback, and McKinley-Williams showed – some ability to stop the run consistently, but there were some games where he was really beaten up too. So I don't really see the defensive line as a group to look out for or the receivers. And Taj Harris is your number one guy, you're in trouble. And I don't think Anthony Queeley is a strong number two in the ACC. That's fair. A lot of question marks at that wide receiver position. And as far as the defensive line goes, certainly a lot of veteran presence there, but depth's a little bit low. And like you said, the production wasn't exactly there last year. So it's not the worst position group on the team by any stretch, but it's certainly not the best kind of just middling in the pack. I'll put, I'll put it this way. Defensive line, I think their best attribute to the team is you have a fifth year and two sixth year players. Those guys are going to be the guys that those young corners look to as, hey, what do I do here? Or, or what does it look like when I do this? On and off the field, they're going to be the leaders. And that's fine, but in terms of raw talent, raw position group, strengths and weaknesses, no. I can't look at the defensive line as anything to really write home about. And the same could be said about the offensive line. Now we'll transfer into, I think we can both agree, what is the weakest position group on this team. And you know what? The stats just back it up. You know, there, there was one in the past couple of seasons, Syracuse is, I think, the third worst team in terms of allowing sacks. They've allowed 39 per season under Dino Babers. The, the unit just has shown no growth, but they brought in a new offensive line coach, Mike Schmidt, from San Diego State this offseason, and they also have a lot of veteran presence on that line. But I will enter this caveat here that just came up a couple days ago. Dakota Davis projected starting guard end of the season, starting, at, I think, left guard. He's out. He's injured. So, you know, that depth's a little bit thinner now as we enter fall camp. Yeah, and by the way, 38 sacks was third worst in the league last year. And Dakota Davis being hurt does hurt, does hurt big time. And it's just, it's a broken record, right? You're just waiting for these guys to be healthy. Darius Tisdale missed some time last year, so we'll see what he can do when healthy. But I'm really looking at Chris Bleich. I really feel like that this unit will only be respectable if Chris Bleich is really, really good and outstandingly good. If you don't have, like we're talking about these running backs and how talented they are and how deep they are, if you don't have one go-to hole on the offensive line, then what are you talking about? You're not getting a 1,000-yard rusher, and you're not going to be able to establish the run, which is important because a wise man once tweeted, that's you, John, that Syracuse is last in the nation in time of possession last season. So you need the offensive line to be good, and that's not going to be possible if you don't have a reliable gap. I think Chris Bleich is the most reliable gap right now, and we'll see if he can maintain that over a full season. Stay healthy and stay consistent. Depending on if he plays left or right guard, I'm assuming he's going to seize one of those starting spots. He's going to battle with Davis and Darius Tisdale for one of those for one of those spots, I believe. But 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 I'll tell you what, Dino Babers has been so befuddled over this unit for the past few years, don't be surprised if he gets Rubik's Cube to tackle even. I, I could see that 
in a world where Aaron Service can't protect and Matthew Bergeron can't protect, I think Chris Bleich is the first move. You really need a guard to move over to tackle. I think it's Chris Bleich in a heartbeat. Okay. You need to find your best five, right? And if Service isn't cutting it at right tackle, which I would argue... I, I don't think he's good there. I think he's better inside. I think he's better at center. So maybe Carlos Vettorello slides out of the starting five. Maybe they push him over to guard. Obviously, you don't want to rewrite the you know rewrite the map here. But you got to get your best five on the field to give you the best chance of moving the football. Because like you said, last year, uh, the team was last in time of possession. I know Syracuse likes to go fast and play up-tempo. But that wasn't because they were piecing together big drives, big plays, and first downs. It was because they were going three and out pretty much every possession. Yeah, and you just can't have that, especially when you have a unit like the quarterbacks who love to give the, the football away. It's just a perfect storm right now with the offense, and it starts with the offensive line. And speaking of quarterback, I think that's another one of the weaker position groups on this team. It certainly does not lack talent. I will say that. Talent, pedigree, it's all there, right? But the one thing that's not is the production, the efficiency. So you got Garrett Schrader, Tommy DeVito, Jacoby and Morgan. Those are the guys that are all battling for that starting job. And out of out of those three, you need to find one guy that can move this team and lead this team because then maybe the perce perception of the quarterback room, that position group, will improve. Yeah, and I think if you have to pick one guy, it's probably Garrett Schrader. And, and the reason isn't even talent. It's, it's mostly fit. Schrader fits the offense really well. And on top of him being able to operate the offense and being able to move the football the way Babers wants him to, he can run. And if, if the offensive line isn't going to be very good, you need a quarterback who's going to be able to turn a big nothing into a little something or even get back to the line of scrimmage when he has 300 pounds of muscle chasing him in the backfield. So I think it's really important that Schrader is the guy to operate the offense and steer the ship. Schrader versus DeVito versus Morgan, that's going to be the conversation of the entire offseason, has been and will continue to be all the way up to game one for Syracuse on the road at Ohio. But just to recap here, uh, our strongest position groups for this season, running back, linebacker, defensive back, not necessarily in that order, but the weakest spots, of course, offensive line and quarterback. Coming up next on Fizz Radio, we'll transition from the gridiron to the hardwood. Talk about Syracuse basketball and the hot recruiting stretch they've been on lately. And that continued earlier this week when the Orange picked up another big commitment. That's coming up next on Fizz Radio. Back here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260, John Eads and Brad Klein with you all the way up till 10 a.m. Once again, remember to follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz and check out all of our stuff at orangefizz.net. And speaking of our site, Brad, you wrote an interesting article this week after Kadir Copeland, a three, uh, excuse me, a four-star shooting guard, committed to the Orange earlier this week, the third member of SU's class. It, your article was about the trending that is the SU class this year. After only signing one prospect last year in Benny Williams, the Orange now have three, and this cycle is not even halfway over. There's still plenty of time to bring in even more commits in this 2022 class. So, Brad, what's going on? Why is SU so hot? Well, I think it really comes down to them only getting one guy in 2021. And it really worked out because Benny Williams is an elite recruit and Syracuse is going to have a lot of fun. Syracuse fans will have a lot of fun watching Benny Williams this coming season. But when you only get one recruit and when your ACC rank in terms of recruiting class is only 11th, that next year, the 2022 guys, they look around that fictional locker room and they say, man, I could see myself in there. I could see myself in the lineup, in the rotation, for sure. 
off the bat, off the cuff, right? And I think that's why a lot of guys are choosing Syracuse now. And it's not necessarily new, right? Like, Kamari Lenz commits to Syracuse. Justin Taylor commits to Syracuse in part because of Kamari Lenz. And the two of them help bringing in Kadir Copeland. That is Duke with Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish, right? That, that's already happened. That's not nothing. That's not anything new. It's new for Syracuse. And the reason is because there's a lot of elbow room in that locker room right now. And the three of them, Lance, Taylor, and Copeland, could continue to recruit more guys into this class. We'll get into that later on the five-star review. But as you mentioned, Kamari Lance committed earlier this year back in April. He's a four-star small forward. Justin Taylor committed more recently back in late June. He's also a four-star uh, small forward. And then Copeland earlier this week, the third member of the class. So you talk about how there's a lot of opportunities for playing time, a lot of open spots on this team. You think about Kadari Richmond, Woody Newton, Alan Griffin leaving, so many departures opening up those spaces. Are there any other kind of factors that could have played into this decision? Maybe Coach Beheim being a little bit more upfront with his job security and even name, image, and likeness? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Beheim and job security... That's something that he's never going to have to worry about. Name, image, and likeness, I do think, has something to do with it, though, because, and it goes back to playing time, right? These, these players are realizing, okay, name, image, and likeness is something that I'm going to be able to take advantage of, but I'm not going to be able to take advantage of it if I have to redshirt or if I'm only playing 15 minutes a game. And I think back to the 2016 class. Of course, that's when name, image, and likeness was only a, a thought, but that was a really good class, too. And that class had three four-stars, just like this one. Tyus Battle, Matthew Moyer, Torian Thompson. Battle quickly becomes a fan favorite. We all know what Tyus Battle did. Matthew Moyer had to redshirt, and Torian Thompson played fewer than 20 minutes a game in his freshman season. Both of them end up transferring. I think that Lands, Taylor, and Copeland see what happened a few years ago with the Syracuse team and say, okay, well, I don't want to be like them. Why did they end up transferring? Because they didn't play. Well, why didn't they play? Because there were plenty of other guys already in the rotation that they had to worry about. That's not the case anymore. By the time 2022 rolls around, there are only going to be four guys that are currently on the roster that are in the rotation. Like It's going to be Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, Benny Williams, and if you want to count Samir Torrance, Samir Torrance. That's it. That's, all, that's the only guys that these three recruits have to worry about. Gerard Edwards, Torrance, and Williams. So the future of the Syracuse basketball program, this class now ranks fifth in the nation and second in the ACC. And like I said, there's still plenty of months to recruit and bring more bodies in. Earlier when I mentioned Bayheim's job security, I didn't mean like being fired. Right, obviously they're never gonna fire Coach Bam. He's gonna retire, step down at some point. But I think what I was trying to say was that maybe he's being a little bit more upfront with how long he wants to stay at Syracuse and what his future is in coaching in the three one five. It's possible. That's it's definitely possible, but it's really hard for these guys to say, Okay, well, you know, Jim Bayheim wants to stay for this many years, that's fine, because they all wanna be here be at Syracuse for one year. So I don't know how much Lands and Copeland and Taylor are really thinking about that because A, they commit largely because of the assistance, and B, because they only want to be there for one year. That's the goal. 
John Eason, Brad Klein here on Fizz Radio this week, taking you all the way up to 10 a.m. We're talking about Syracuse's hot streak on the recruiting trail recently, bringing in Kadir Copeland earlier this week. And like I said before, SU now is the fifth best recruiting class in the nation. But Brad, should we really be that surprised? I mean, let's not forget, this is a Syracuse team that made it to the Sweet 16 last year and, of course, has had a lot of magical runs over Coach Beheim. Is this still not a place where, you know, blue chip, top-ranked guys want to come in and play? I think you should be surprised, and it hasn't been that way for quite a while. You think back to 2020, and the recruiting class was ranked ninth in the ACC. In 2019, it was seventh, and, and in all those years, there was some moderate NCAA tournament success. Still nothing came to fruition on the recruiting trail, but there's been success before in the postseason, and the recruits still haven't taken notice. The difference this year has been lands taylor and copeland teaming up so yeah i think you should be surprised and i think syracuse fans should be pleasantly surprised the only thing now is because Syrac this used to be come right syracuse in 2013 getting tyler ennis that was a big recruit but on the other hand it was almost expected because he was kind of in syracuse's recruiting territory and syracuse is a good team why wouldn't tyler ennis come it's unfathomable right now for the orange to get one really, really good recruit, not to mention three, and that's what they've done. So I think with pretty much no change in the way the team has performed, with the NCAA tournament success coming over and over again despite low seeds, I think it's surprising that the recruits have started to come in in bulk now, for sure. The only, the only thing that Syracuse fans have to be asking themselves is, what has the team done different? What has the program done different? And how do they replicate that for years to come so they make sure that the Orange get back to their national prominence? It's definitely a great question, Brad. And recruiting better, getting these blue-chip recruits on the trail can certainly help SU get back to that big stage. And one other thing, be sure to go check out Brad's article at orangefizz.net about the recruiting trail and SU success recently. One other thing I do want to bring up just real quick here, I believe it was Jaron May, another one of our colleagues, who wrote an article about one weakness in SU recruiting, and that's kind of carried over into this class, is the center position. Like I said, a couple of small forwards, a combo guard in Copeland, but no center committed in this class, and it could be a question that continues to come up year after year. Brad, do you think SU brings in a center this year, and is it imperative that they do so? They're going to bring in the center based on need, and so it is imperative. I'll say it again. I've said it countless times on Fizz Radio, and it's hard for me to say it, but I'm going to say it. Alan Griffin is a really good coach, and he deserves to be employed by the university. But when you have a guard recruiting for centers, and you're trying to convince the centers as a guard, hey, I'm going to get you to the NBA as a center in a zone that you don't want to play, it's a tough sell, right? So I do think that the reason Syracuse recently hasn't been able to recruit really good bigs is because they don't have a big recruiting. And it's hard to say because, again, he's a good coach, but... He's being, being put in a position to fail. There's a couple of names still on the recruiting trail that SU could still go after, and we're going to get into those names next on 5 Star Review. We'll also talk a little bit more in-depth about Kadir Copeland, SU's latest commit in what is the fifth-ranked class in the nation right now. That's, all, that's coming up next on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260.
I'm gonna need a five star review. Five star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five star reviews. Hey, five stars. Time for some basketball talk here on Fizz Radio. John Eads, Brad Klein with you all the way till 10 a.m. Reminder, you can follow Orange Fizz on Twitter at Orange Fizz and check out all of our Syracuse basketball and football content online at orangefizz.net. So we talked a little bit about football in the first block there regarding SU's position groups. So now we're going to transition to basketball and specifically recruiting Brad. The Orange picked up Kadir Copeland earlier this week. Uh, four-star shooting guard, combo guard, excuse me, out of Life Center Academy, originally from Gettysburg, PA. How excited should Syracuse fans be about this pickup? It's the third commitment in the Orange's 2022 recruiting class. Well, like we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, John, this is a big deal for Syracuse's class because right now it's a mo- the more complete class, one of the more complete classes we've seen, and it's happening. Why? Because likely the 2021 class was shallow, and the 2022 guys, Lenz and Taylor, and now Copeland, see a lot of elbow room in the locker room, but we really didn't talk about what Copeland brings in his game. And uh, you mentioned combo guard. At six foot six. I really see him contributing however Syracuse needs him to. He has the skill set to be a point guard, but he has the height to also play shooting guard and even stretch him out on the wing if you really have to, which Syracuse probably won't, but... Given the fact that Lands and Taylor are probably going to be commanding the top of the zone, who knows? I see him more like a Frank Howard. And he's got great size. You talk about the defensive end. Obviously, he's a very gifted scorer, could play point guard, could play shooting guard for Syracuse, but he's 6'6", 175. And, of course, Coach Beheim definitely recognized that when he was recruiting Copeland because you always like that length, whether he's going to play on the wing or at the top of the zone. And it was a big recruiting get for the Orange. Landed him uh, over schools like Oregon, Oklahoma State, LaSalle, DePaul, Miami, Maryland, and Penn State. So a lot of schools were after Copeland. And kind of interesting, one of our colleagues, Cami Zaire, wrote an article a couple of months ago when Copeland was coming in on his official visit. And he said, Syracuse has to take Copeland's visit seriously. Right Now, obviously, you're thinking to yourself, well, duh, they're having him in on a visit. Obviously, they want him to commit to the team. Why wouldn't they take it seriously? Now, people might look at his recruiting ranking and think that, you know, he's, he's kind of low, lowly ranked, doesn't have offers from Duke and some of these other blue blood schools like that. But the Orange landed him over a bunch of great programs, no less. And Copeland's a guy, like we keep saying, that can bring a lot of special things to the table and be a big player for SU in a couple of years. Well, John, I actually see him contributing right away. And, and with his length, I think he could be really good as a utility man in the zone. That's the thing. And Kadir Copeland is never going to really struggle defensively. It's just a matter of does he have an offensive role for Jim Beheim to just plug and play him right away? So like we said before, Copeland joins what is now the fifth best recruiting class in the nation, second best in the ACC and it's still August. It's still pretty early in this cycle, Brad. So Syracuse still could continue to add a couple more guys to this class. Like we said, already three in the 22 class, only one in last year's Benny Williams, the lone commit, and he's already on campus and practicing with SU for this season. But a couple more guys on the trail Syracuse is going after. We'll start with Chance Westry. He's from Phoenix, Arizona, a four-star small forward. Now, SU has been in on the ground floor in this recruitment from day one. However, I think it's interesting that on the same day Kadir Copeland commits to Syracuse, 
a couple of 247 sports analysts logged two crystal balls for Westry to go to LSU. And there's also a crystal ball in there from uh, a 247 sports analyst that has Syracuse as the landing spot. But that one was logged a couple of months ago. These two coming on the same day that Copeland commits to Syracuse. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because we, we keep on talking about how Syracuse is stockpiling all these guards and all these four stars. How much room does the roster have for four-star guards? And even Chance Westry, a guy who's been rated higher than Copeland, probably doesn't like the fact that the Orange just landed a person who plays more or less his position. He's bigger. He's definitely more of a small forward than Copeland is with about 15 pounds more than he does, than he has in the same frame in terms of height. I don't think Chance Westry is coming to Syracuse, and that's okay. A lot of Westry's commitment came with the undertone of Westry coming with guys who aren't coming to Syracuse, Dior Johnson being one of them. So I don't really see him as a guy who's likely to come, and that basically, for, for me, that ship sailed when Johnson announced his decision to decommit to Syracuse. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, he's from the West Coast. That's you know, it's, it's far away. It doesn't really have any. Uh, he hasn't he doesn't have any ties to New York. You know what I mean? And the reason why Westry would have came originally is to join those other blue chip prospects. But like Brad just said, Dior Johnson decommitted, and now he's headed out to Oregon. So I guess we'll continue to monitor what Westry does. But it seems like he's a lean to go to LSU. Now we'll transition back to the East Coast. Peter Carey, an unranked power forward from Massachusetts. He's got offers from Ivy League schools, Rutgers, and Syracuse. Now you talk about Copeland being lowly ranked. Carey is kind of as lowly ranked as you can get. Has no star rating, not even a nationally ranked guy. And Syracuse seems to be banking on him being a developmental prospect and a diamond in the rough perhaps. Yeah, and I think this is the ugly stepsister to what Syracuse has built, the beautiful, fruitful class that they have right now in that, okay, yeah, it's great that Syracuse's recruiting class is second in the ACC, fifth nationally, but do you have everything you need? And the answer is no. And what's going to end up happening if Peter Carey comes to Syracuse is he's either going to redshirt his first year or he's just not going to contribute much his first year, and Jesse Edwards will be asked to do a lot. The only way Carey plays, assuming he comes to Syracuse, is if Edwards gets into foul trouble. Because that's what it really comes down to. Carey does not have that much to offer. He's six foot 190, and, and that, that frame should make Syracuse fans cringe. Because what has happened over the past few years, pretty much ever since Rakeem Christmas, is that the Orange have had power forward stretched to the middle of the zone and asked to do too much. That's going to be Peter Carey if he comes. Kind of sounds familiar to Marek Dolezal, right? The 6'11", 190 frame like you just mentioned. Now, he might be – he's definitely not as skilled of an offensive scorer as Dolezal is. That's for sure. And like you said, could be a defensive liability. So, I don't know. We'll see what goes on in that recruitment as well. Rutgers got in on the ground floor, offered uh, Carey a month before Syracuse did. The Orange offered on July 15th. But like I said, not a lot of other big offers, just a bunch of Ivy League schools and Rutgers and Syracuse. So, yeah, and I'll tell you what, John, this is this is probably as good as it's going to get for Syracuse. So if I were Jim Beheim, I'd be scavenging the transfer portal after this season. They're going to need some help at the five, and it's not going to come from Peter Carey. So who's it going to come from? Hopefully you can get a transfer who can bridge the gap until you get a center who's reliable, a center that you can rely on to play center at the very least, unlike Peter Carey. And I, I think with this... 
the, the loss of Kyle Filipowski just kind of grows bigger and bigger. Of course, he committed to Duke a couple of weeks ago and was Syracuse's premier top power forward prospect in this class. And things looked good for, for a while there. He officially visited Syracuse, seemed like he had a great time, but then Duke came in with the offer and just snatched him from the talents of Jim Beheim. And that happens, right? The Orange think that they might be back in terms of recruiting. They're not. And and Kyle Filipowski going to Duke instead of Syracuse when he had a great visit and it seems like a perfect fit in terms of who else is coming with him in that class. No centers, all guards, guys that he can play with. For him to still go to Duke without Krzyzewski really hurts. And it's a cruel reminder of where Syracuse still might be on the recruiting scene. If you're getting Peter Carey as your five, and you can actually say with confidence or think that you're going to say with confidence, okay, Peter Carey is our five going forward, thanks to the 22 recruited class, you're in trouble. And you're probably not as good recruiting-wise as you thought. So the cupboard's pretty dry for bigs in this class, talking about power forwards and centers. It's John Eads and Brad Klein with you this week on Fizz Radio talking about Syracuse basketball recruiting on the five-star review here and we'll transition to one more guy J.J. Starling Ascension New York native from Baldwinsville who now plays at La Lumiere High School one of the premier high schools in the nation for college uh, excuse me high school basketball recruits he's a four-star combo guard that Syracuse is recruiting to play point guard and shooting guard and there's four schools that are really in it for this guy, Duke, Stanford, Maryland, and of course Syracuse. Duke came in with an offer pretty recently, and that's made people kind of, much like Filipowski, kind of scared of you know where SU is in this recruitment because that Blue Devil offer still holds so much power in brass. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing with Starling, and I wrote a column on this a few weeks ago on orangefish.net, so go check it out. The, the biggest thing with J.J. Starling is defend your home turf. J.J. Starling is from the Syracuse area. He grew up going to Syracuse games. He's a Syracuse fan. If you lose him to Duke, that's really going to hurt. And, and from an X's nose standpoint, it'll be fine, right? J.J. Starling's a fine player, a four-star guard, but we've already established you have plenty of those. Do you really need another one? Probably not going forward. So Starling, I think, will contribute to Syracuse if he comes but the biggest thing is, can Syracuse really say that they're defending their home recruiting turf? You're right. It seems like a slam dunk, really. I mean, no pun intended there. Uh, Starling is from the CNY area. He grew up probably watching Syracuse games and played at a local high school here before transferring out to La Lumiere. So it seems like Syracuse should be in till the end for this guy. And I, I actually just saw an interesting thing. Uh, top three schools for him, Duke, Stanford, Syracuse. So it looks like it could come down to SU and Duke at the end, kind of like it did with Filipowski. But could you imagine this guard class, really just this recruiting class in general? You know, you bring in Taylor, you bring in Kamari Lands, you bring in Copeland and Starling. That's unbelievable. That's an embarrassment of riches. You probably don't have enough room for all of them, but if you're Syracuse, the more the merrier, right? There's no salary cap that you have to worry about. So you get all these guys in, as many as you can, assume, assuming that recruitment or rather that scholarship can't be used on a reliable center, you get as many guys as you can into the mellow center, you have them battle it out for playing time, you sit one of them down, maybe two of them down, and oh, one of them, two of them might end up transferring. That's okay, because if you're Jim Beheim, you can say with confidence, you have the best guys on the floor that you could possibly get. 
So that's the latest in Syracuse basketball recruiting. This was the five-star review. Syracuse added Kadir Copeland this week, third member of its 2022 recruiting class. And there's still a couple more prospects on the trail that the Orange could go after and even bring in to add to its star-studded class. Coming up next on Fizz Radio on the score, 1260, everyone's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback, as well as Fictional Fizz. Don't go anywhere. Taking you home here on Fizz Radio, John Eads, Brad Klein, taking you up here to 10 a.m. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz and check out our stuff at orangefizz.net. But speaking of Twitter, it's time for everybody's favorite segment on Fizz Radio, Fizz Feedback, as well as Fictional Fizz. Brad, what's the first poll? All right, John, we're going to start with the gridiron here. We're going to start with football, and Vegas is saying the total for wins this season is three for Syracuse. That means they're going to have to pick up a couple of ACC wins so we ask you, Fizz Nation, who the most underrated ACC opponent is that Syracuse should be looking out for. Is it Louisville? Is it Pittsburgh? Is it Boston College? Or maybe you just disagree with our options and it's other. Well, 4% of Fizz Nation thought other, but it was an overwhelming favorite. 46.3% of Fizz Nation say the Eagles of Boston College are the most dangerous team. That's fair. I voted for Pitt, though, because I think Boston College is pretty rated. They, they played, they almost beat Clemson last year, right? They've played some ACC teams very tough. I think a lot of people expect a lot of big things out of the Eagles this year. As far as Pitt goes, they lost a lot of talent to the NFL. They started out last season undefeated, but then went on a little bit of a losing streak, and they played pretty competitive ball as well. So I think it's the Panthers that are pretty underrated this season. I'll tell you what, uh, Kyle... Maybe Wenick, is that his last name? However you pronounce it. Sorry, Kyle. NC State was his is his uh, option. They commented below. I actually agree with NC State, and that is a good team. They have a lot of really good receivers. And Bailey Hockman, another year in that offense, he could be really dangerous. Boston College, I understand, because the offense is good, and they did almost beat Clemson last season. But then again, Syracuse only lost by three to Boston College. 16-13, to 13, and they had their chances, plenty of chances to win that game too. So I think Boston College being underrated makes sense in the eyes of Fizz Nation because they're not looking at the Clemson game. They're looking at the Syracuse game and saying, hey, other Fizz Nationers, hey, I know that the Orange almost beat the Eagles, but calm down because Boston College is a pretty good team. Yeah, that's fair, and I agree with your take on NC State, but much like I said about BC, I think NC State – is projected to be very good this year. They bring back so many experienced uh, starters and talent from last year. Dave Doran's doing a tremendous job in Raleigh. I don't think they're underrated. I think they're rated. All right, so maybe they're rated, maybe they're underrated. That's what Fizz Nation says, 46% winners. A bigger winner in the next poll. SU Hoops has already tripled its class size from 2021. It's the addition of Kadir Copeland. Does Syracuse bring in a fourth recruit? Who's it going to be? 
I said yes, but it could be a couple of different guys. I've heard things about Peter Carey, an underrated center potentially, Chance Westry, JJ Sterling. There's a lot of we got a lot of replies on this tweet, Brad. We're gonna you know, we talked about a lot of these guys in five star review as well. So Yeah, I, I think JJ Sterling makes sense on paper, but then you talked earlier about how Syracuse needs a big and Sterling is certainly far from that, so it wouldn't be surprising if the Orange stopped paying a lot of attention to him. By the way, 91% of Fizz Nation says there will be a fourth guy, maybe even a fifth or sixth, but it has to be a big, has to, has to be a big, and maybe Peter Carey is the guy. So we're wrapping up Fizz Feedback right now. Which Syracuse football position group is the best on the team in 2021? You and I both agree that the linebackers are pretty good, the running backs are pretty good, and Fizz Nation saying the tailbacks really strong as well. 71% saying the running backs are the best. Defensive backs getting some love. That one's for you, Jeeds, 18%. And my linebackers at 7.5%. What do you think of that? The running backs, despite the offensive line really carrying the load in Fizz feedback and apparently in the eyes of Fizz Nation on the offensive end. Well, that's the thing, Brad. As we said, I think the running backs, their success is really contingent on the offensive line because you, know, you can't run the football forward if you got five, six defensive linemen in the back. You're just going to get negative yardage every time you touch the football. But there is a lot of talent. Obviously, Sean Tucker's back. He's on the Doak Award preseason watch list. Abdul Adams, Jarvion Howard back from opt-outs. And then you got Cooper Lutz as well. He's a playmaker. You bring in Josh Huff as well, a true freshman. So there's talent. Fizz Nation, I agree with you there, but I think the linebackers uh, have that talent as well and also that production to go along with it. Plus, they control their own destiny. Right. Well, I, I will say the only way I agree with Fizz Nation here is in that not the running that the running backs are the best group, but that they're the most important group. And it goes into that stat we were talking about how Syracuse football was dead last in college football last season in time of possession. You can't win football games like that. So if they can establish the run, which has been a big point of emphasis in camp, then it's going to be a different offense and thus a different team. And it starts with the offensive line shortly after that, though. It's the running backs. I'm with that. Yep, I'm totally the defensive backs as well. Another group with a lot of talent. You really can't go wrong picking any of these three. But the big thing for me is controlling your own destiny. I think that's why the linebackers are the deepest and best position group on this team. And now we'll throw it over to Fictional Fizz. So we did our Fizz feedback. Now we have one Fictional Fizz question for you as football season gets closer and closer. We're just a couple weeks away from kickoff. SU going on the road to Athens, Ohio to play Ohio. And speaking of football and wins and losses, Brad, what's our Fictional Fizz for this week? Fictional Fizz, we're going to go with wins for the Orange. It's over under. Vegas saying three. I'll give you that number two. What do you like, the over or the under on Syracuse football wins this season? Might be a hot take but I'm taking the over. A lot of people don't think SU will win any ACC games, but I got SU going 4-8, and 2-6 and six in the ACC, wins over Ohio, UAlbany, uh, on the road at Louisville, and on the road at Florida State. Those are my four wins, taking the over. Yeah, Florida State is a team, we were talking off air, you really see that as a big gaping hole in the schedule for the Orange, a chance to really pick up a win when no one else thinks so. That's on the road, though. I don't know how much I really like that game. Even if Florida State is a little overrated, I could agree with you there. Personnel could be a problem, but it's on the road in Tallahassee. Not loving that. I'm going to take the under. Fully expecting to push here. I don't think Syracuse is going winless in the ACC, and I can see a world where they go 2-0, or rather 2-1 in non-con, 
with Albany and Ohio being those wins, they're not going to beat Liberty. Actually, it would be 2-2 two and two with the Rutgers game as well. But I can see them picking up two wins in non-con. Then they just have to scrape out a win. Maybe it's Louisville. I actually think that a team like Wake Forest could be caught sleeping a little bit because that could be a trap game. I, I'm not saying that Wake Forest is the weakest ACC team they're going to see. I just think that Syracuse is good enough to steal one. So those are both of our record predictions here as the season gets closer and closer. And the rest of the Fizz staff will release their predictions in just a couple of weeks here as we get closer and closer to the season. So thanks again for tuning in to this week's edition of Fizz Radio. You can check us out at Orange Fizz on Twitter and at orangefizz.net for continued off-season coverage of Syracuse football and Syracuse basketball. But for Brad Klein, I've been John Eads. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.